1: So the 10-year yield picking up to its highest level since 2019. Asian equities, meanwhile, though, hitting a three-week high with Japanese and Hong Kong stocks leading the way. Billionaire investor Carl Icahn warns of an impending recession, wait for it, or even worse, in inverted commas, amid the prospect of -of out-of-control inflation alongside war in Ukraine.
0: We do have a lot of trouble ahead. When it happens, I've I've told you this many times, on the short term, I don't think anybody can really predict it. I I think there's just too many variables in this type of a market.
1: Well, at the moment, only a minority of EU members favoring a Russian oil ban, according to CNBC sources, who indicate the bloc is unlikely to join an embargo and will look for alternative measures this week. Plus, US President Joe Biden departs for Brussels, with plans to unveil more restrictions on Russia by sanctioning members of Moscow's parliament, whilst also offering refuge for fleeing Ukrainians. And Tesla CEO Elon Musk busts a move, apparently that means something, as he opens the EV maker's new Gigafactory in Berlin, Tesla's first manufacturing facility in Europe. Comfortable start to the show, I thought. <laughs> with poor old Jeff talking
0: away, but I don't know what's wrong with his microphone. Sorry, are you back? Uh, I think I'm back. I don't know. Can you hear me? C- Can, you be- hear me now, <laughs> Can you hear me now, Mother? Can you hear me now, Mother? You're going back a few
1: years there, certainly. Um, but 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 I have to say, I, I feel very uncomfortable with the words I said in the headline, so I need to apologise to viewers cool. because I don't even know what Buster Move means. But right. it, is it is it it, it means dancing? Ah. Does it? I thought it was
0: the name of someone.
1: But we saw the video of um, Elon Musk dancing. That's right. what we're talking about, Adam, as yes. well. And apparently, there are oh. some things you should never do as a middle-aged man. And one, In fact, I want to be sacked on the spot if ever I dance on CNBC. Mm. Because, I mean, we all recall very uncomfortable scenes of Bill Gates dancing. Yes. But even worse was his partner in crime, Steve Ballmer, who on more than one occasion was a serial appalling dad dancer on stage at Microsoft events. And now we've got yes. Mr. Musk dancing as well. So I really feel certain things should never happen. Have we got, have we got him dancing? Oh, that's really awful, isn't it? Oh, I mean, do I, I, you know what the problem is, Mr. Musk? You are the epitome of kind of like a, a cool CEO. What do you call yourself? The techno king or something? I don't know. But but that is the epitome of uncool, sir. Please never do that again. You, you, you've, you've diminished a lot of people's views of you who, who held you in such high esteem with dancing like that. But but seriously, CNBC bosses, if ever I dance on air, just just sack me there and then. Uh, I don't care if it's in the contract or not. Um, but that's not what I wanted to talk about. I want to talk about this. Um, and, and I want Jeff involved as well. And I've, I've kind of slightly forewarned Katie for once that actually we will be uh, ripping up her rundown. So, so so, here we have a curve, which I think is fascinating. And if you look at the difference between the two year uh, and the 30 year, it's actually very, very small, isn't it? It's only like 43 basis points there, but you've got 2.17 for your two year now. Your 10 year, which is what we look at an awful lot, is trading mildly below the five year of two, 2.41 as well. But I want to um, I want you to bear that in mind. We've had this extraordinary rally. It was in Jeff's headline, if you could mouth read, if you could lip read, but actually in my headline uh, after I took over his headline, uh, if you couldn't lip read, which is basically saying we've had the biggest rise uh, in bond yields, the biggest decline in the underlying bonds in a monthly basis for a very long time, and now we've got the highest absolute yield uh, since 2019 as well. But the point I want to raise is the juxtaposition with the markets, and I'll very quickly look at the US markets before I move on to the next board. So let's just have a quick look here. Not a great surprise for you. As I was going to bring this one up, but apparently the gallery is surprised. So look, we're 2% higher on the NASDAQ. That is, that is the point. And the S&P 500 is at 1.13%. So my point was that we have the yields picking up aggressively, the underlying bonds falling aggressively as well. Now let's move on to the NASDAQ because I want to just show you something. Since uh, the low of the NASDAQ, we saw this precipitous decline, virtually bear market on a whole host of indices, whether it was the Dow Transports, whether it was the Russell 2K, Uh, whether it's the NASDAQ as well. This is the point I want to raise. This is around about the middle of March. It's the 14th of March, right? The low we hit on the NASDAQ was on the 14th of March. It was 12,581, I think was the closing level there. Just slightly before that, on the 10th, about here, we had US CPI. And for a lot of people, they seemed very surprised that it was nearly 8%, 7.9%. A lot of us out there who have been worried about this for a long time weren't surprised. So you've got pretty much at the same point You've got the inflation peak so far, and we're getting UK inflation today, it's going to be higher, and across the board, it's looking higher across the board. So you've got the inflation peak and the low of the NASDAQ at the same point, yeah? Bear in mind, we do think inflation is going to go even higher. But look at the rally of the NASDAQ, it's around about over 10%, around about 11%, 12% since that low there. And at the same time, inflation expectations have picked up. Interest rate expectations have picked up, more hawkish Rhetoric from the Federal Reserve, which, as I've said yesterday, got a few things wrong on, the tra- uh, on how long inflation pressures are going to last, right? So you've got inflation expectations picking up. You've got the um, word coming from the Federal Reserve picking up about how hawkish they're going to be. But the Nasdaq has rallied extraordinarily. Now, this is where I bring Jeff in as well, because there is something going on here, which the scribes, the analysts and the economists who tell me that they're all genius have got to work out here. Because do you remember? Because, again, I've talked about gnat like and goldfish-like memories of many people in my profession as well. Yeah. How their line was peddled to us through a large amount of 2021 and a large amount of the start of this year, that actually the Nasdaq can't rally in an interest rate uh, rising environment. That if you have a more hawkish Fed, the Nasdaq will decline because it's about discounted future cash flows. I kept hearing about discounted future cash flows. But now the utter rubbish of that argument is being pretty much turned on its head and said, oh, well, of course, the NASDAQ is where you've got to earn, have it, because they've got growth regardless. They've got exponential growth, regardless of what's going on in the underlying inflation argument. And because we've got so much inflation, you need real assets. And where are you going to find the real bank for your buck in real assets? You're going to find it from the higher growth stocks as well. Mm. So you've got to have a little bit of a longer time frame to realise just how strange these markets are. I personally think it's a big momentum trade at the moment and people are just deciding to do what they've done throughout the last few years, which is buy the dip as well. I think it's got nothing to do with the underlying fundamentals.
0: Uh, I absolutely agree with you. And I'll give you a line here. So uh, Rushil Sharma, ex of Morgan Stanley... Uh, has basically uh, left Morgan Stanley now and set up his own business. Does that mean they can be free speaking now? Is that what they always say when they leave the investment banks? He was always pretty good on emerging anyway. But what's interesting is now that he's extended a little bit beyond his emerging brief. And he now describes the coming decade as the decade of commodities. And we will see money move from growth and technology where it at the moment is is, is effectively pooled in dispropor- disproportionately large uh, amount relative to the broader sphere of what's available. His argument is that we've had a decade where technology has been favoured, growth has been favoured, but ultimately the coming decade, as we see the macro conditions shift, will be a decade where the money comes back out of technology and finds a new home in commodities through the rest of this decade, which is your argument for Uh, real products, real commodities, uh, real assets. And ultimately, you know, we can always have, as we talk about on the programme, you can always have a bear market rally, but that doesn't mean that you diminish the fact that it is a bear market at this point. And there are lots of good reasons to believe that it will be harder trading as far as technology is concerned. And the one that you and I come back to all the time is the fact that the global economy is now sitting with about 300% debt to GDP. 300 Percent debt to GDP is actually consumption brought forward and is a drag on growth as we continue to see interest rates tick up. So for a number of reasons, one, the inflation, two, the high level of debt, three, the potential for, for policy mistake around the markets, there are lots of good reasons to believe that you sell the peaks yeah. and you don't buy the dips. I,
1: I, again, unfortunately, this isn't great telly in some ways because we're agreeing with each other. But one thing I will say is there are two different types of technology companies now, uh, and that's become very apparent. There are the ones that actually make stuff, sell stuff, have a service product that is absolutely going to be in demand regardless of the cycle. Yeah. Uh, and then there are the ones that actually just do not make economic sense at zero interest rates. And actually now when you're going to see a, a higher interest rate cycle, which possibly in the United States peaks at around about 3%, are going to make absolutely zero sense in that environment as well, and especially in an environment where, dare I say, stocks like in the gig economy as well are going to have to pay far more for their workers as well, because they're deciding actually they want better terms of service, and as you say, far more for the underlying commodity, which is going to drive their little bikes bikes Um, and
0: trucks and things. The the more interesting, uh, or let's say not the more interesting, but the sort of bigger question here is, are we going to have a recession? ultimately before the year is out Yes, of course. We always have recessions. Because
1: what the central bank... I know you're going to come in
0: again. But what the central bank's tried to do is tell us, we can do this.
1: We've got your back all the time. We're going to either delay or take out the recession out of the economic cycle. And therein lies the problem. Economic cycles have recessions. And so I hear what Carl Icahn is saying. He's saying it could be something worse, isn't he?
0: So you started off by looking at the Treasury curve here. And it's very interesting. And um, this has been picked up by a lot of people. But the fact that Jay Powell talked about a paper by Engström and Sharp which focuses on the shape of the yield curve and the near-term part of the yield curve as a predictor of economic outcomes going forward. And maybe we should have done this a bit yesterday, but we've got a bit more time on the programme, I think, this morning. We're not quite so squeezed. But it is worth just pointing out that that paper, which reviewed historical data, basically argues that the predictive power of the yield curve beyond about 18 months is nada. So you need to look at the short end of the curve up to about 18 months to see whether the shape is telling you anything interesting about the likelihood of a recession 12 to 18 months away here. And the argument that Jay Powell used and which Engstrom and Sharp used and others have seized upon is that the short end of the curve is still um, fairly elevated, which tells you that actually the Fed is fine carrying on with interest rate rises further on because even if we're flattening on twos and tens and there is the risk of inversion from 10 to 30, the predictive power of that in recessionary terms is very limited.
1: Yeah, I, look, and also I just say the fact that bonds look a far more attractive proposition now if you're looking for some form of safe income, if you're looking for A risk free asset, which, okay, and admittedly, if inflation is higher, of course, the the income on that cash will be lower than the inflation level. But the fact of the matter is, if you're getting 2.5% on your treasuries now, if you're getting 0.5% on your bonds, that's far better than you've had if you are risk averse and you're a saver than you've had for years. so a lot of people are getting enticed by that, but obviously ignoring the fact that if underlying inflation is picking up at 7% or yeah. higher,
0: then you've got a bit of a problem. Well, the trouble is the money is just coming out of the bond market, isn't it? We, we saw an, 11%, gosh, a, an 11% drawdown from the global bond index, which is a record.
1: And the short end. That is
0: a record since the 2021 At your peak. shat's
1: end of the market as well. And I always love the word shat's. At yeah. your shat's end of the market. Your short end, Katie. Short end of your market on the German curve as well. You're finally getting a little bit better than you would have done a couple of years ago. I want to go to Dan Murphy. Dan, we, apparently the producers have let us do our own show today and actually have given up on the script. I like just, it. No, no, yeah, yeah. ignore like what it. you it's were going to say. Apart, I've got another Steve. question for you. Were you just talking to Sir David sure. King of the independent SAGE group in the UK? Or he certainly was of that as well. Former government scientist, I think, as well. I just wonder what you were talking about because I had energy straps at the bottom. All I know is this chat was just bemoaning every pretty much government policy we've had over COVID over the last two years. What were, you, were you talking to him about COVID or something else?
2: Yeah, look, we were actually having a conversation about what's happening with Europe's dependence on Russian gas, the argument being that the energy transition was already looking stalled coming into this, Steve, as you know. And now we continue to see the Europeans actually purchasing Russian hydrocarbons, and that arguably is pushing back progress on the energy transition. So David Kinn coming on the program basically saying, no, look, we're seeing investments into renewables and this is going to be a big tilt towards the renewable energy sector. It's going to accelerate progress in that space. But my argument was actually dependence on hydrocarbons is increasing as a result of this. So look, I thought it was a pretty interesting conversation actually, but he's sticking to his guns here saying, no, this is ultimately going to result in uh, Europe moving away from fossil fuels. But I tried to argue against that.
1: I, I think I find it fascinating. Do you know what? I struggle to be any good at anything, right? Let alone being a world-renowned expert on COVID, and then just segueing beautifully to becoming a world-renowned expert on how Europe gets off energy. Amazing how people can turn their hands to different stuff, isn't it, Jeffrey? Yes.
0: yes. So we should talk about Asian markets as well, then. <laughs> no, Dan, no, no, no. Dan, how about those Asian markets? No, I disagree. Do you know Adam and
1: Katie have just said we can do whatever we like today for three hours? Can you believe that? No. Oh no! Apparently we can't. Apparently you've got no. the Asian markets, Dan. Sorry, we had we had 14 minutes. That's all they're giving us.
2: <laughs> okay, so if you want to know what's happened on Asian markets today, I think you need to look at what you we're talking about before, which is this uh, drawdown that we're seeing in bonds, right? So. Increasing yields actually helping to support Asian equities today, which is really interesting as well. You could probably point to the slight moderation that we've seen in oil prices as well, which is helping to drive momentum. So in terms of the overall equity market performance here, it was Japan that was the standout today. You can see up 3% as we continue to see yen weakness as well, which is an interesting story too, right? Why isn't the yen necessarily reflecting the safety trade that we should be seeing right now off the back of this crisis in Ukraine? Either way, that's been supporting big export stocks on the Nikkei, and we're seeing momentum there. At the same time as well, when you look at what else was uh, moving across the market here, mainland Chinese stocks looking mixed. But there's one company in particular I wanted to draw your attention to, which is ZTE, seeing its best daily performance since December of 2004 a significant gain here after a u.s court moved to end its probation this is interesting because the company was found guilty of actually committing uh, visa fraud in the united states when it came to getting its employees into the country but it was allowed to end its probation anyway the stock rose almost 30 percent off the back of this and shares in xiaomi in hong kong also up around six percent through the session as well after the firm announced plans to repurchase shares we have seen more momentum in some of the Hong Kong tech stocks, which I think is something to look out for as well. Investors swooping into that space off the back of these renewed pledges that we've seen from policymakers. Uh, in China and in Hong Kong when it comes to fiscal and monetary support. So you can see Xiaomi up around 6% there. But at the same time, Alibaba also rose after boosting its buyback program as well. Some suggesting that maybe some of these tech names are still trading at a discount, looking cheap. You could also argue that they're cheap for a reason, right, with others saying China China in particular looking uh, uninvestable at this point. But uh, either way, some gains in that space. Guys, I also wanted to bring you across uh, what we've seen with uh, China Eastern shares today. A uh, shares actually falling, but eight shares rose. Uh, this is, of course, coming after we see that investigation into this horrific uh, plane crash that's taken place in China, continuing the search for uh, the uh, aircraft's black box, continuing after that 737-800NG crashed uh, on Monday, likely uh, killing all on board, regrettably, uh, a tragic story that we're following. Uh, But China Eastern Airlines, you can see, advancing around 1.5% in the session today. So, guys, that was broadly how Asia markets performed. I'm going to toss it back over to you for now.
0: Dan, terrific. Thank you very much indeed for that. We'll see you a little bit later on. Speaking to CNBC-famed investor Carl Icahn warned of increased volatility in markets, even raising the possibility of a recession.
2: We do have a lot of trouble ahead. When it
0: happens, I've I've told you this many times. On the short term, I don't think anybody can really predict it. I, I think there's just too many variables in this type of a market. I think there very well could be a recession or even worse. I can add it that he believes the Fed will be forced to keep raising interest rates to address rising inflationary pressure. You have to do it. I don't think there's a choice. Inflation is a terrible thing When it gets going You can't get that genie back in the bottle too easily We saw it in the 70s We saw what happened And I think at this point We have with the supply chain problems And because our companies Are so badly run with many exceptions We really don't Have that supply Carl I can. Well, Coming up on the programme It is Spring Statement Day In the UK, Chancellor Rishi Sunak is under pressure to help with the rising cost of living. Stay with us, we'll uh, take you down to Westminster for more.
1: Welcome back. U.S. President Joe Biden travels to Brussels today ahead of meetings with NATO, the G7, and European Union leaders tomorrow. He's expected to unveil new sanctions on Russia, with the Wall Street Journal reporting that up to 300 members of Russia's parliament could be targeted. White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said that Washington and its allies will look to crack down on evasion of existing sanctions and ensure enforcement. Meanwhile, the Kremlin's spokesman, Dmitry Peskov, has said the Kremlin would only reach into its nuclear arsenal if its existence was threatened. He also refuted claims by President Biden that Russia is planning a cyber attack. The Russian Federation, unlike many Western countries, including the United States, does not engage in banditry on the state level. Negotiations between Russia and Ukraine have been moving forward, but in a sometimes, quote, difficult and scandalous way. This according to the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky. Talks between these sides have not resulted in any major breakthroughs yet, we understand. But Zelensky seemed to offer some hope, saying these sometimes confrontational talks are progressing step by step. In an address to Italian lawmakers now, the Ukrainian president called for more international measures. The invasion has been going on for 27 days, practically one month. Therefore, we need even more sanctions, even more pressure, so that Russia stops looking for more military reserves or mercenaries somewhere in Syria or Libya and starts looking for peace. Fighting has intensified in the Ukrainian port city of Maripol, with street-by-street clashes breaking out across the downtown areas. Nearly 80% of the city's residents have fled, but around 100,000 residents are still living under blockade and amid constant shelling, according to the Ukrainian government. Jeff.
0: German finance minister Christian Lindner said the government will tailor its fiscal policy this year in order to avoid stagflation. Speaking at the German parliament while presenting his plans for the 2022 budget, Lindner added that there are plans for a supplementary cash injection to areas most impacted by the war in Ukraine. This after the German government proposed to increase defence spending by 100 billion euros last month in an historic policy shift.
1: UK Chancellor of the Exchequer Rishi Sunak will deliver his spring statement to Parliament today pledging to, quote, stand by struggling families. Uh, This amid increasing pressure from his party, the Conservatives, to soften a planned tax hike, which will bring an extra £12 billion to Treasury coffers as inflation drives the cost of living higher. Sunak is expected to cut taxes on fuel, but has warned this will not be a, quote, mini budget. The Chancellor is expected to wait until autumn to make any major fiscal decisions, despite official figures showing the country's annual borrowing is £26 billion below forecast. Well, Rosanna joins us now uh, from Abingdon Green. It's it's a lovely day out in Westminster as well. I hope you're wrapped up warm because it's going to get lovely later. But what's old Rishi going to say a little bit later on for us? (laughs)
3: <laughs> well, it's about seven degrees here so far this morning, Steve, so it's not so bad. I'm going to get up to 20 by lunchtime, but I guess this isn't really a weather report. We have seen what Sunak is going to say later, a broad outline, and as you said there, this 5% cut of fuel taxes seems to be almost written in at the moment. The controversial item on the menu is this planned hike to national insurance contributions, a form of tax here in the UK for employees and employees, a raise of about 1.25 percentage points by April at the same time as we were going to see the raise in the off-gem energy price cap as well which basically means energy bills here are going to get even higher and that is again set to raise later this year so it's this perfect storm of factors for sunak currently squeezed in its position to try and manage this so-called cost of living crisis before it gets even worse by autumn i want to pick up on that point you made there about the spring statement as you well know it's not supposed to be an interventionist mini budget uh, the type of budget that we see later here in the year in the uk but some are saying there's no no way around it. He's going to have to put in some serious fiscal measures today because what they're trying to do, of course, is stop this soar away inflation. We're going to get CPI figures at the top of the next hour, whilst at the same time making sure that you're not making living more expensive here in the UK, especially for lower income households. In terms of verbiage, what we're going to hear more of is this idea of these packaged support for lower income households. But take, for example, that five pence off the fuel tax. I've seen analysis this morning saying that, well, that doesn't really help the lower income household here in the UK, many of which don't even have the money to own a car, for example. And then when you think about what they're doing in terms of raising interest rates, the Bank of England with its third consecutive bank uh, interest rate last week, trying to basically rein in that inflation whilst also trying to help the economy to grow. Well, now with the added impact of Ukraine, that's something else you're going to hear a lot more about from Sunak today. This idea that it's created an additional shock to the UK economy, similar to what you were just talking about with Germany there. It could actually, some are saying, tip the UK economy into a sort of shallow technical recession, which in turn could see uh, inflation turn into disinflation in the slightly longer term. So you've got this strange mix of factors here. How do you control this runaway inflation without making sure that people get poorer, at the same time without seeing the economy tip further into a recession? I wouldn't want to be soon, today. It's very tough indeed. Politically, not to forget as well, you mentioned there, Conservative Party member. Under his tenure, we've seen a lot of tax hikes. We've also seen a lot of spending as well. So his uh, kind of position as a staunch Conservative Chancellor is under a bit of question at the moment. In the background, of course, we had Party Gave bubbling away there. The Met investigation continues into those Party held at Downing Street uh, during the peak of COVID. That, of course, has faded slightly into the background, but something to bear in mind, not a general election here in the UK until 2024, but this cost-of-living crisis is definitely posing a challenge to the current government.
1: Well, you wouldn't want to be Rishi Sunak, you tell me. Does that mean you don't want to be the (laughs) Prime Minister after Boris? I mean, sorry, carry on being the Chancellor. Sorry, I I, I misspoke there.
0: I love the way (laughs) uh, that everybody
1: looks at...
3: Go ahead, Rosanna. I'll take the PM's job, but maybe not Sunak. Yeah. <laughs>
1: well, I, 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 I'm under the impression that relationships between Number Ten and Number Eleven Downing Street, uh, which is where the Prime Minister and uh, the Chancellor of the Exchequer reside uh, respectively, I'm understanding that the relationship is not all that at the moment.
0: Oh, is that right? Well, maybe they need to have a few more parties in the garden just to work through some of the kinks. But How I was just going to say, in the I was now. just going to say. I mean, it makes me uh, smile that on the back of those public sector. Borrowing requirement numbers. Everybody said, oh, 25 billion spare because they borrowed less this year than our expectation. Uh, let's just remind everybody that we are, what, nearly 95% debt to GDP at the moment in the UK. It might be useful to actually pay down some occasion.
1: And um, I think something that Rishi Sunak is very aware of, that um, perhaps some of the people who want the more spending might be aware of, is that we have a 1.7% guilt rate on the 10 years at the moment. Uh, now, considering where the guilt yield has was when we borrowed vast amounts of money as a country and where it is now, where we are going to be rolling over a lot of that debt rather than paying it down, because austerity is is toast now, then I would imagine that the concerns about future financing is going to be uh, absolutely paramount. There you can see. Thank you, Katie. Two-year gilt trading at 1.4%.